you have your Bibles, grab them. Jonah chapter 4 is where we'll be today, and we will conclude our series through the book of Jonah um, in chapter 4 this morning. Uh, Before we do that, though, I want to put a plug in your ear real quick for the next six weeks. Uh, We're going to start a series called What Is? And and let me kind of tell you my thinking behind this. And um, when I was teaching on a Wednesday night, uh, when I first got here, I was teaching a class I called Theology 101, and we were going through just uh, what is the Bible? Who is God? What is the church? What is, like, all these kinds of things. And and uh, there was one particular person who would take a bunch of notes and then asked me this question that just kind of floored me and startled me. It asked, why don't uh, churches teach this stuff on Sunday mornings? I've been going to church a long time, they said, and I, I've never learned these things. And so that just struck me and convicted me. I thought, we have got to carve out some space to just be really clear and teach fundamental uh, things of the faith. So next week, we're going to start that. We're going to go through what is, and we're going to walk through uh, uh, different aspects of the faith. And so I'm encouraging you to bring a notebook, because this, if there's any time for you to take notes, it'll be uh, starting next week. So I'm excited about that, uh, and I hope you'll bring a notebook and start taking a lot of notes, because I hope it'll be helpful to you. All right, but today we're in Jonah. So Jonah chapter four is where we'll be. Uh, let me ask you a really interesting question. How many of you back, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe seven years ago, watched the show Lost? Yeah. How many of you liked the ending? No one. A couple of you. So I, I remember watching the show Lost, and Lost was a show that, you know, the plane crashed, they were lost on an island, and it really took off. Everyone loved Lost. Everyone was watching Lost. It was like, you know, on whatever night it came out, it was like American Idol. Everybody stopped what they were doing and watching it. And so everybody was watching Lost, and uh, after however many seasons, the series finale was finally coming. They were going to answer all of our deepest, darkest questions, all of the questions we had about the show. They were going to answer them, and then the episode aired, and it was like, what? What just happened? What was that? It didn't make sense of anything, it was confusing, and it was really, really disappointing. And if you ask somebody today if they watch the show, usually they said, yeah, I loved Lost, but hated the ending. Uh, and so <clears throat> that is exactly what happens in the story of Jonah. It's a fun story full of twists and turns, running away uh, from God, big storms, big rescues by giant fish. But when it gets to the end, it abruptly stops. And I imagine people, as they've read the book of Jonah for the first time, turn the page thinking chapter 5 was coming, only to not see it, only to see the next book of the Bible. And I imagine some people have often wondered, is there a page missing in my Bible? Because it literally just stops. And it leaves this cliffhanger. That is, at first glance, really frustrating because we don't know the end of the story. But I think actually the ending is intentional and it is meant to teach us something. Our story last week ended with the Ninevites, these people that Jonah hates, repenting and turning to God and God showing them mercy. God choosing not to destroy them. And in chapter four, you might expect to find Jonah high-fiving everyone, saying, great job, and headed back home. But instead, that's not how it ends. 
The change of heart that Jonah seemed to experience in the belly of the whale has either not lasted or wasn't complete or full enough. And so as this revival takes place in Nineveh, our story picks up and takes a surprising turn. Read with me in Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is, this, o Lord, is not this what I said? When I was yet in my country, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. This is the word of the Lord. This book not only ends on a cliffhanger that just abruptly stops, but it also ends with a question. It's only one of two books in the whole Bible that end in a question. And the author, I think, by asking this question, is shifting the focus away from Jonah and onto the reader, onto you and me. This story started out about Jonah, but now it is about you and I, the reader. And so we must examine our hearts and answer the same question that Jonah is being confronted with again and again and again. The question is, how will we respond to God's love for lost people? How will we respond to God's love for lost people? That's the question we must answer as we walk through the text together. So first, verses one through four, it, so it displeased Jonah. Jonah's upset exceedingly. He is angry, and he prays to the Lord uh, that he, should, he would rather die than to live, and he's mad. He said, this is why I flee. This is why I left my country and left and fleed away from you because I knew you were gracious and merciful and you would relent from this disaster. I knew you'd have mercy on them. That's why I didn't want to go. And so he says, take my life because I'd rather die than live. At first glance, uh, the amount of teenaged girl drama spewing out of Jonah is both impressive and quite ridiculous. But as we think about it, we are seeing what anger and hatred does to a person. 
on the inside. Can you imagine what it would be like for you to be upset that someone came to faith in Christ? Can you imagine what it would be like for you to be angry, angry enough to die that so-and-so walked the aisle, came forward, got baptized, believed in Christ? Can you imagine actually wanting and praying and desiring and working toward someone going to hell? Because that is how Jonah feels. And we need to examine our own hearts this morning to ensure that we never feel toward any person or group the way Jonah feels about the Ninevites. Not only because God has commanded us to love people, to love lost people, and to love our enemies even, but also because anger toward others will destroy you from the inside out. Anger and bitterness toward other people destroys you on the inside. You see, Jonah is actually angry at God Because God is not working the way Jonah thinks God ought to be working. Jonah is mad that God is not following his advice or doing what Jonah thinks God ought to be doing. Jonah thinks that God needs to go all Sodom and Gomorrah on the Ninevites. That God needs an atomic bomb, fire from heaven, just blow them off the face of the earth type thing. And Jonah is angry over God's treatment of these heathens that in his mind do not deserve an ounce of mercy or time from God. And this reality is making Jonah miserable. So miserable that he wants to die. That he would rather die than see God show mercy to these people that he hates. Have you ever noticed that when you are angry at someone or when you are bitter frustrated at someone, that it turns you into a miserable person for everyone else around you? Have you ever noticed that when you're angry, you get moody and you start snapping at everybody else around you who didn't do anything wrong to you? You ever noticed that? Or that you get depressed and you just sink into yourself? Anger and bitterness toward others, they never hurt the person that they're aimed at. They only hurt you. For example, over the past eight months or so, I have been uh, reading a lot of news, because there's been a lot of news in the world, right? And I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, a lot of political podcasts, and staying up to date on what's going on in the world. And over the course of that eight months, what I realized was that it made me miserable. And I was angry at all kinds of different people and all kinds of different groups, and frustrated And I was always finding myself arguing in my own head against all of these other people and why they were wrong about whatever it is they thought. Recently, I decided to take two weeks off of listening to any podcast or reading any news and just being ignorant. And boy, let me tell you, it was like heaven. It was peacefully bliss. You see, listening exclusively to secular worldly pundits pontificate about what they think. People who do not uh, have a particularly Christian worldview advocating for a Christian worldview. As, they, as you listen to them talk about uh, why everyone else is the problem, why they did everything wrong, it makes you hate the people they're talking about. 
It makes it difficult to see those people that we disagree with on whatever issue. It makes us difficult to see them as people created in the image of God. People whom he sent his son to die for. You know, I am afraid that uh, Christians are more often known for what we are against than what we're for. I'm afraid that the world often sees us for what we stand against, what we're mad at, what we're boycotting this week, what we're protesting this week, and not the things we advocate for that are good. I'm afraid the world sees us as a bunch of frustrated people who don't like whatever it is and just are mad about everything. I'm afraid Christians are known by what we protest and not what we celebrate. And so the Lord asks this striking question of Jonah that we need to ask ourselves. He says, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Like, is it right for you? Is it good for you to be angry about this, Jonah? Oh, is it, is it right for you to be angry that I'm showing mercy to the Ninevites and not blowing them off the face of the world? Are, is it, is it, is it, do you do well to be angry about that? Is it right for you to be angry about that? Did you know, actually, that there is a right way to be angry? Did you know that there is a, that we can be angry in a righteous sort of way? Now, most of the time, our anger is sinful and misplaced and selfish and wrong. Uh, when, when we're, but when we are angry at the things God is angry at, when we are angry at the right sort of things in the right sort of way, then our anger is at least headed in the direction of righteousness. For example, it is good and right and just for us to be angry and outraged at injustice. God is angry at injustice, so should we be. When God, when we should be angry at the treatment of the unborn ripped from their mother's wombs. We should be angry at the wrongful treatment of immigrants and refugees. We should be angry at the mistreatment of someone because of the color of their skin. We should be angry at the belittling of those people who have special needs. We should be angry at the forsaking of the needs of the elderly. When people created in the image of God, from womb to tomb, are treated as if they're not creating the image of God, that is injustice and God is angry about it, and we should be angry about it too. We should be outraged about it. It is good and right for us to be angry at such things. It is right for us to be outraged at mistreatment of people creating the image of God. But here is the question that we must ask ourselves. Has our outrage, like Jonah's outrage, at these violent people, the Ninevites, has our outrage, outrage turned into outreach? Has our outrage turned into outreach? It's easy to be angry. It is easy to be outraged. It is easy to yell and scream and be angry. It is easy to get your fingers working on a keyboard and post all of your ranting on social media about why you think this and that is wrong. It is easy to do that. But are there hands and feet to your outrage? Does your anger at injustice move you to action or do you stay on the sidelines yelling at the refs, hoping it'll change the game? You see, Jonah was rightly outraged by the violence and injustice of the Ninevites. These are people who are truly terrible people. 
who have committed genocides and atrocities. He should have been outraged by that. But God was pushing Jonah to move from just outrage to outreach, to do something about it. You see, it is easy for us to be outraged over abortion. It, but it's only righteous outrage when it moves you from just being angry and just posting and talking about it, when it moves you to go to that 17-year-old pregnant girl who thinks she has no other option and go to her and say, girl, you are loved and wanted. And whatever you need, I and we will be there to walk you through that. That changes people's lives. Our outrage, our anger, our venom does nothing but push people away. It tells the world what we're against. But when you come to me, and this has happened, and it's been so good in our church, when you come to me and you say, hey, Brent, there's someone at my work who is a single mom, she's pregnant, she's 18 years old, and, and she doesn't know what to do, and we can come and say, we're gonna, we're gonna help her, we're gonna be there, and we just send diapers and wipes and clothes and all the things. We go to her and say, hey, listen, you made a mistake. This baby is not a mistake. This baby has been knitted by the father in your womb. We want to be there for you and it. Not just until it's born, but even going on after. That moves us from outrage to outreach. We have compassion. You see, outrage at people, outrage at issues or groups is easy. But unless that outrage moves to action, it will never produce actual change. Instead, we will just be yelling at the referees through our TV screen, thinking we're doing something. This past year, we saw the temperature get turned up on every issue you can ever imagine. There was outrage after outrage after outrage and on every hot-button issue. You turn on the news, they're talking about something going on. And everyone sounds off on social media, raging and arguing for why their side is right and why the other side is just plain evil. Hear me say this. If we just have outrage at the people we disagree with, we are like Jonah and are not following the commands of Jesus. Because Jesus called us to love our enemies, not demonize them. To love our enemies, not demonize them, not hate them, not call them names, but to love them as ourselves. These are people, no matter how much we dislike them, what they, what, no matter how much we dislike what they do, what they stand for, these are people created in the image of God, who have value, dignity, and worth, and God sent his son to bleed and die for them. And if when I say that uh, you are thinking of someone else, when I say that, you're thinking about, oh, yeah, I know somebody who needs to be, be more loving toward the, these people. Or I know this person over here, they need to be more loving to that group. Then you are missing the point. How can you love your enemies more? How can you love those you disagree with more? How can you understand them more? How can you love them as yourself? The reality 
that our enemies are created in the image of God, those we disagree with, those we don't like are created in the image of God, and that Jesus died for them should change our hearts to not be like Jonah and to just be outraged and mad at these people and want God to blow them up. It should move us from that to outreach and to love and to compassion. I've, ne- I've never met anyone who, who beca- became a more joyful, loving person by watching the news. I've only seen people watch the news, myself included, grow more angry at the other side. Our anger will never change the world. Our outrage will never change the world. It'll only make you miserable. Miserable inside and miserable to be around. But people marked by Jesus, marked by the love of Jesus, are marked by unconditional, self-sacrificing love, even for our enemies, even for those we disagree with, even those who have offended us. Only being marked by that kind of love will change the world. You see, we see Jonah's heart so clearly, a heart full of anger and bitterness, a heart that is destroying him from the inside and making him miserable and miserable to be around. But just like every other time in this book, when Jonah runs away from God, God pursues after him. And so verse five says, Jonah went out of the city, sat at the east of the city, made a booth for himself there, sat under it in the shade until he should see what would become of the city. He's still hoping God changes his mind and blows it up. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. This is a weird story, so follow me. God appointed a plant to come up over Jonah that he might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. You see, God had been trying to reach Jonah with this lesson for the entire book. A lesson he has also been trying to teach his people Israel and he's trying to teach us. A simple lesson, but a profound lesson that is hard to get, that God loves people, all people, lost people, and even those people who don't deserve his love, which for the record is all of us. But Jonah does not get it. Jonah's like, but, 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 but those people. God, how could you love those people? I get maybe these people over here, but those people? How could you love those? How could you have mercy on those? Have you seen what they've done? Have you seen what they stand for? They're demonic. How could you love those people? How could you have mercy on those people? Jonah's a little hard-headed, which gives me hope because I'm really hard-headed. I can read the Bible. I can know what I should do, know what I ought to do, know what I'm supposed to do, and not do it. Y'all ever done that? Know what you should do and not do it? Sometimes God has to teach me something again and again and again and again until I finally get it. And sometimes he has to take me through a situation before I really understand the truth he's been trying to get to me. See, sometimes God has to take you through a situation before we understand the truth he wants us to learn. When I went to Bible college, I was that smarty pants, know-it-all in the youth group kid who always asks the questions and thinks they know everything. And so when I went to Bible college, I went to Bible college thinking that I knew a lot about the Bible. I was pretty arrogant. And so I went to Bible college pretty excited to show everybody what I knew, and quickly learned, man, I don't know anything, <laughs> quickly learned that I had, a, I had a long way to go. 
And you would think that might bring some humility. No. Nope. And so over the course of that first year, I learned uh, uh, all kinds of new big words and big concepts and foreign languages and deep truths that no one, me and my youth group back home, had really ever heard of. And so when I went home that summer, I wanted to talk about all the things I'd been learning. And I wanted to drop the big words and the big theological ideas. And I wanted to argue with everyone about every little thing. Thinking that once they saw all the vast knowledge that my 19-year-old self had, that they would want to come and sit at the feet of the teacher and learn. Quickly, it went sideways. (laughs) Quickly, it backfired and blew up in my face. And everyone was ticked at me. Everyone was mad. No one wanted to listen. No one's mind was changed by my arguments, no matter how elegant or persuasive I thought they were. That summer, I almost lost all of my friends and some of my family because of my arrogance. Now, I knew arrogance was a wrong thing. I knew that we were to be humble and kind and all these things. But God had to take me through this situation to wake me up. I quickly learned that my knowledge, as little as it actually was, was not meant to puff me up, was not meant to make me feel smart, but was a gift that I was to steward and gradually and carefully and lovingly help equip others to love God and love his people more. It was not meant to make me feel smart. Now, I knew that in my head. But God had to take me through this humiliating experience in order to teach me how to better love people and not be an arrogant jerk. Sometimes God has to take you through a situation before we understand the truth he's been trying to teach us all along. And that is what God is so patiently doing with Jonah. Again and again, taking him through these situations, these trials, and to slowly and lovingly press these truths deeper and deeper into Jonah's heart until he finally gets it. And so now Jonah is sitting outside the city. He's left the city, sitting outside up on this hill, having a little pity party with himself, watching and hoping the city still burns. And so what does God do? But he sends a plant. He sent a storm. He sent a fish. He sent a revival. And now he sends a plant to Jonah to shade his head. Verse seven says, but when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind so the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. What a drama queen. Notice what is happening. God is giving Jonah a living illustration. See, God caused this plant to grow up over the head of Jonah to shade him in the desert sun. But then God takes the plant away by sending this worm to eat it. And how does Jonah respond? Angry, angry enough to die. And then God goes for the heart of Jonah. God says, you pity the plant. You have pity. You have mercy. You care. You have pity for the plant. 
for which you did not labor. You didn't work. You didn't do anything to cause this plant to grow. Nor did you, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. You care about this plant. You're so mad the plant's gone. You, and you didn't do anything for it. And then verse 11, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons. God is saying to Jonah, you loved this plant and the shade it brought you while you didn't do anything to make it. You love the plant while you have no real connection to it. You have no skin in the game with the plant. Oh, Jonah, don't you see? But I created the Ninevites. I created them in my image. They have my imprint on them. I formed them in their mother's wombs. Should I not have love for them? Should I not pity them? Should I not want for their good? You see, God's heart is for people, all people, people of every stripe and color, people of every social status, every economic status, people of every political status. God loves people because he made them, he put put them in his image. God has skin in the game. It's like, Jonah, you love this plant, and you didn't even do anything. I made them. Should I not love them? Just as God has been pursuing after Jonah's heart this whole book, he is also pursuing the heart of this wicked, murderous people, the Ninevites, because he loves them, despite who they are. But yet, Jonah has cared more for the creaturely comfort of the shade tree than the lost people right in front of him cares more about the shade. Do you love the things in the world more than people? Do you love the things in this world more than people? Jonah does. He loves the plant more than the Ninevites. Sometimes we can be far too concerned with our own comfort than in reaching people. Sometimes we fail to share the gospel because it's awkward, right? Because we don't know how to bring it up, because it might interfere with my career advancement, because it's inconvenient. And I think the devil does his best work when he gets us fighting over trivial things. The devil does his best work when we're not reaching out and reaching lost people with the gospel because we're fighting over the color of the carpet. When we're fighting over, can you believe the pastor let her pick the color of the walls? I mean, really, her? I'm an interior designer. Why wouldn't he ask me? Can you believe that? When the devil gets us fighting, about the style of music we sing or the songs we don't sing, when the devil gets us fighting about political issues, when the devil gets us fighting about whatever the case may be, when he gets us fighting over the clothes we wear or don't wear, we're not reaching the lost, fighting over trivial things. How many churches have lost their focus on the mission because they were so mad the color of the walls? How dumb. People going to hell and we care about the color of the carpet. I'm glad we don't have carpet, by the way. Gives us something not to fight about. Our mission is not to have the best colored chairs because nobody likes these green chairs, let me tell you. Our mission is not to have the preferable music style. Our mission is not to correct every political opinion. Our mission is to advance a kingdom 
that, trans, that transcends this world, a kingdom where we move people from darkness into the kingdom of Christ. Do you realize that there are tens of thousands of lost people within 10 miles of this church? Seriously, if you pull up a satellite image right now and just zoom out a little bit, what you will find is neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood all around this place. And there's just houses everywhere. And do you know what's inside a house? People. There are tens of thousands of people within 10 miles of this church. God has placed Fellowship Baptist Church right here in the middle of the fastest growing county in all of Ohio for a mission to reach people with the gospel, to see their lives changed and transformed and made new. God has placed you in this church to be a part of that mission, to love and serve and care for people. How many hundreds or how many thousands of people live in your neighborhood right now who if were to die would go to hell today? How many people do you work with or live near or go to the store and see that God has sent you to them like Jonah? Many of these people look different than you. Many of them have a different culture than you. Many of them have their political signs in their yard are the opposite of the political signs in your yard. And yet God has called you to love them, serve them, reach them, and labor for their good. We are called not to be like Jonah, but to be like Jesus. See, Jonah went outside the city. Jonah went outside the city watching and waiting and praying for its destruction. But do you know what the book of Hebrews tells us? The book of Hebrews tells us about the anti-Jonah. That Jesus also went outside east of the city. He did so carrying a cross. That Jesus, who was about to be put to death, who had been tortured, who was falsely accused, went outside the city like Jonah and had every reason to hate it, every reason to be outraged and angry at it, but instead carried a cross so that the city would not be destroyed. Jesus carried and hung on a cross to save the world in which he could rightly be outraged at, a world he could rightly be angry at, but instead, instead of praying for our destruction, prayed for our salvation and our rescue and provided it. Jesus' heart is for lost people. Jesus' heart is for people. His heart was for you and is for you. Is your heart that way? Does your heart reflect God's heart for lost people? When you see people you disagree with, when people do things you hate, does it does the anger billow up and explode in you into a fiery Facebook post or does it move you to compassion to pray for their good, to pray for their salvation, to pray for God's mercy in their life? Does your attitude toward lost people look more like Jonah or Jesus? Do your actions toward lost people look more like Jonah or Jesus? Do your words toward lost people look more like Jonah or Jesus? What if we saw people the way God saw people? That when you see someone, you did not first see their skin color or their political party or their social standing or their economic status, but you saw a person for who Jesus bled and died and asked, how can I share the best news in the world with you? See, the story of Jonah ends on a cliffhanger. 
And we don't know what happened to Jonah, but we do know this. In the end, Jonah gets it. In the end, Jonah is changed. In the end, Jonah realized that his anger had warped him and that God was good and had his love for the Ninevites was good. Jonah realized that that same love was coming for him. God's love chased Jonah across the sea and kept chasing him until Jonah got it and understood. Now, how do I know that? How do I know that when the book just ends? Because only someone who has been changed by the relentless, reckless love of God could write a book about what a jerk they were and share it with the world. But now that cliffhanger turns to you. In your life, will your heart reflect God's heart or Jonah's heart for lost people? Will your heart be like God's for lost people or like Jonah's? Will you just be outraged or will your outrage move you to outreach and love? Will you be known for what you're against or what you're for? Let's pray. Father, you have given us a mission. You have given Fellowship Baptist Church in 2021 a mission. You have placed us right here in one of the fastest growing areas in all of Ohio with tens of thousands of people and homes surrounding us. Let us not be content to be in a holy huddle. Let us not be content to be concerned over trivial things. Let us be discontent until our church is 100% moving forward and engaged on a mission to reach and change the world through the gospel, through all of the people you've put in our lives and around us. Father, help us. Lord, I am so prone to this. I am so prone to be angry and outraged and mad, and I want to argue with people and why they're wrong and why they don't get it and why they just need to wake up and see the truth. I want to argue with people all the time, but help me and help us not to simply be outraged, not to simply be mad over whatever issue, but to let that outrage and anger move to compassion and outreach where we love and serve and care for those we disagree with, that we think are wrong, that we think are harmful. Those who have committed great injustices, let us still be moved to love and compassion and outreach. For you sent your son to die for your worst enemies. And I was the chief of them. And I, Father, was the chief. My heart set against you. My life marked by sin against you. And yet you came to die for me. Father, this morning, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you, or anyone in this room who needs to follow you deeper, needs to give their life to you, if anyone in this room who needs to uh, start sharing the gospel. It needs to, their heart needs to be softened. It needs to pray about anything. Lord, give them the strength to come forward and pray. Give them the strength to stand and sing. Give them the strength to do whatever it is they need to do. Father, Christ, and we pray all people said, stand and sing together.